If you have your Bibles, we'd like you to turn with us to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1. We're going to go into this chapter. And uh, Paul, in this chapter, in the beginning part of the ninth chapter here, defends his position as an apostle. I want to talk to you about the apostleship of Paul. And the reason this is important to us today is because that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. I'll show you that in a few moments. But uh, we are Gentile. Gentile means not Jewish or non-Jewish. And uh, in the days of the early church, the church started out being all Jews. And then uh, after that, it began to be the Gentiles as well. Uh, when the Lord said, go to all the world, preach the gospel, they thought at first that it would mean all the Jews that were scattered throughout the world, that he was, they were to go forth. And then they found out that, no, it was meaning everybody, all people. And so uh, Paul understood this very clearly. God has spoken to him very plainly on it. And I'm going to give you some scriptures today to show you that. And the reason it's important is so that we understand that the writings of Paul is to help you and I who are Gentiles to know why it's possible we can be saved and how we can please God, how we should live, how we should worship, how we should serve the Lord. We do not keep the law. We do not keep the law. Uh, we do not go back under the law and try to keep the law of the Old Testament. But Paul brings out in all of his writings, and which, we're, we're, that's, which is all the epistles that Paul wrote, uh, in all those epistles, he brings out that it is the law fulfilled in the, in the New Testament, that the New Testament is a fulfillment of what was in the Old Testament, and that the things that were required of the Jews of the Old Testament in physical senses was to us in a spiritual sense. For instance, uh, the Lord uh, had Moses to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Well, you and I, when we were saved... We don't come out of Egypt into the promised land. Literally, we do it spiritually. Coming out of Egypt is like coming out of the world. And this is not to say Egypt is, is uh, you know, as sinful like the world, but it's just simply a type of it going back to that. And so we come out of the world and then we come into the body of Christ or into the church, as it's called. The church is the body of Christ. And uh, the church is not the building so much as it's the congregation and the people scattered, not just in this congregation, but all over the world. So that's the, the church. So we come out of the world and there's, that's an example of what we're talking about. Paul understood these kind of things. And in his writings, he lets us know that much of that Old Testament that they did physically and, and literally was a, was a type and shadow of things that were to come that were to be to us spiritual things. Jesus showed a lot of that in his teaching. Uh, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven is like an unto and so it goes forth to sow and this and that and so forth. Some fell on this ground, that ground. Uh, he talked about it's like a, a man who, who is fishing and he brings in the net. Some fish he throws back, some fish he keeps. And he talks about the kingdom of heaven from a natural standpoint to teach spiritual things. And uh, this is very much what Paul understood very much in the early stage. And the Lord spoke to him when he first called him in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts and said, I'm going to make you a messenger and a teacher of the Gentiles. And so uh, this is why that Paul's writings are so very important to all of us. And they are not 
ever in contradiction of the other apostles as well. Now, I want you to look at chapter 9, verse 1. We'll refer to some other verses here uh, as well. But look at 9, 1 and 2 with us, if you would. He says, am I not an apostle? Am, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Now, what he does is to list some things that others have said, this is what an apostle is made up of, or this is what you have to be to be an apostle. Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? They said to be an apostle, you had to have seen the Lord. And so he says, have I not seen the Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? So an apostle had to be one who was a soul winner. And he brings this out. If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. Yet uh, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. The fact that I've won you and won so many of you Gentiles to the Lord is the seal of my apostleship. And so what Paul is constantly trying to do is to tell these Corinthians, uh, the Galatians, the Ephesians, these other Gentile church uh, and the congregation of these churches. He tells them these things so that he says, when somebody comes along and tells you something differently, that's different than what I have been teaching you, forget it. And the reason that I'm telling you that I have the authority to say, believe what I'm saying is because I am an apostle. I'm an apostle. God has given me that calling and he's given me that place and he's given me that authority that I might teach you because what was happening in those days is that you had all kinds of people that was coming into Christianity and they would run with their own little stories. You had Jews who had con- was converted to Christianity who was going among the Gentiles saying that all males had to be circumcised now. Uh, and Paul was saying, no, 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 that was under the law. That's not in the New Testament. Uh, they were saying that uh, they had to go to the temple in Jerusalem and offer sacrifices. Paul said, no, no, Jesus Christ was a supreme sacrifice. That's why he died on Calvary. Shedding of his blood was the sacrifice. It's the fulfillment of all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. But these, these Jewish Christians, not all of them, but just some of them, they thought that they, these, Jew, these Gentiles had to get on board and be Jewish in order for them to be saved. And so they would come along behind Paul in some of those Gentile churches and try to teach these kind of things. And Paul would hear about it. He'd write a letter and he'd try to straighten it out and say, no, no, no. And some of them would say, well, they say this, you say that. Why should we believe you? He said, well, first of all, uh, you know, I won you to the Lord. I brought you to Christ. And second of all is I'm an apostle. An apostle has this authority to tell you what thus saith the word of the Lord. And well, how is it that you're an apostle when the apostle had to have seen the Lord? I did see the Lord. I saw him on the road to Damascus. You see, Paul was constantly having to validate his apostleship. And this was very important for him to maintain the right for him to teach the people and say, this is what you should do and what you should not do. And also, this is why you don't need to go back and try to keep the law and fulfill the law and do all the things that many of them are saying that you have to do. If you look at the law of the Old Testament, there's no way the Gentiles could have done it because a lot of it had to do with agricultural laws, you know, how you farm the land and so forth. And uh, it, it had nothing to do. It had to do with Palestine itself how, and how you had to let the land rest, you know, every seven days and so forth. Uh, so I'm just trying to say here that this was not to do with our own salvation. Some things under the law was not 
uh, was not full. It was fulfilled only in the sense that we continued them on holiness standard, the Ten Commandments and so forth, all those things. We continue them on into the New Testament. Now, let me read to you here also the fifth verse. Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles? And because Paul was a single guy, some said he's not an apostle because he is single. He has no wife. And, uh, and he said, I have the power to do that. I could have a wife if I wanted to. I could have a wife, you know. So he says, as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord, which is James and Cephas, which is Peter. Cephas is the Greek name for the word Peter. And he says, as well as Cephas. And so he names Peter as well. Peter had a wife. That's brought out in the book of Mark uh, 130, I think it is Mark 130, where Jesus heals the mother-in-law of Peter back in his early ministry, Jesus in his own ministry. Now, I'm telling you all of this because Paul wants all of us to know that you can trust the words of his writings in the New Testament, and he wanted those churches to understand that. So I'm going to take a little time here to tell you and show you why there was a discrepancy about Paul's apostleship. Uh, first of all, there were 12 apostles. I want you to go with me to Luke 6, 13, and 13 to 16. Look at uh, Luke 6, 13. This is also found in Matthew. It's also found in Mark. And this is the one in Luke. I've just chosen Luke here because uh, I just did. I don't know why, but I did. And uh, 6, uh, 13, and it says this, And when it was day... He, Jesus, called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve. Everybody see the twelve? Now, this is important. He chose twelve whom also he named apostles. They were first called disciples, which means followers. Apostles mean ones who, those who are sent. Because what Jesus did was to take these twelve prayed over them, ordained them, gave them the gifts of the, certain gifts of the Spirit for healing and sent them out into the world to preach the gospel even while he was yet in his earthly ministry. And then, of course, afterwards, yet still sent them into the world to preach the gospel. So he says here in verse 13, I'll read it again. He chose 12 whom also he called apostles. Simon had named him. Simon, who comes Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Uh, who were brothers, Peter and Andrew were brothers, James and John were brothers, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon also, Zelotus, and Judas, the brother of James. And Judas is Iscariot. Judas is Iscariot. Now notice that Judas is Iscariot was one of the twelve. So these were the twelve that the Lord chose. Now, if I can move a little further, if you look in Acts uh, chapter 1, Whenever they were, had gone to the upper room to pray and wait for the falling of the Holy Ghost, they waited 10 days and they prayed for 10 days. The Lord said, go ye into Jerusalem. They went back to the upper room where they'd had the last supper. And it was in this room that they gathered together 120 of these disciples of Christ and prayed and waited for the Holy Ghost to come upon them. Jesus ascended into heaven. The angel said to these disciples, go ye back into Jerusalem. Wait and tarry until you be endued with power from on high. Don't try to preach. Don't try to teach. Don't try to do the work of God without the Holy Ghost. And so that's what they were doing. So during this period of time, this 10-day period of time, this is what happened here. And I'm going to read in chapter 1 and verse 16. 
they became aware that they only had 11 there. And so here's what Peter had said unto them. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs be, uh, have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was built, which was guide to them that took Jesus. In other words, he betrayed Jesus and took the people that crucified him to where Jesus was. It says, for he was numbered with us and obtained part of this ministry. This ministry means he was one of the 12. So they said to them, they said, we are now going to cast lots. And what we're going to do, we're going to pray and we're going to choose two men. And then we're going to cast lots, see which one of them God is going to pick to be the one that takes Judas's care's place so that we have the 12 once again. And so they did. And then they, when they did, they picked out two men. This is verse 23. It says, and they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Judas, and Matthias. So these were the two men, and they were to find out now which one of these two men did God want. So here's what happened, verse 24. And they prayed and said, thou God, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry, this ministry being part of the apostleship of 12. And apostleship, this ministry and apostleship, from whom Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place, that is Judas. Verse 26, and they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles and became as they had chosen to be the 12th. So he was the 12th apostle that was added to that group. Uh, so this was known then as the 12 apostles whenever finally the Holy Ghost came in chapter 2, which was the very next verse. It talks about while they were praying, the Holy Ghost fell and so forth. Now, let me just say a word here about this because I personally and many Bible scholars believe the same as I do on this, that Paul was the one God had chosen to take the place of Judas Iscariot. It was Paul was to be the 12th and he was chosen of God. Now, I just want to point out some negative side to this. First of all, uh, they, uh, they picked out two men themselves. They did not have the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost had not yet fallen. They had sort of taken it on themselves to do this without the Spirit of God giving them direction on it. It was just their choice to do. They picked out two men that they felt like had measured up to the qualifications of an apostle, and then they cast lots. Now, anytime you cast a lot to make a decision on something, uh, it has to fall one way or the other, you know? A, a lot, casting lots is sort of a foundation for what the dice are today. It's not the same, but it's a, it's a little bit different, but... The dice is what we have today is, you know, you throw dice and the numbers come up. So whatever's on top, that's the numbers. And so for the six sides to each one of the dice and you put them, you got 12 different ways they could come up, I guess. Anyhow, the thing I'm pointing out to you here is simply that the lots was a fashion of that type. When Jesus died on the cross, they cast lots. The Roman soldiers did for his garments, for his robe. They cast a lot for his robe at the foot of the cross. Uh, and there's still some people that like to play at the foot of the cross. Don't play at the foot of the cross. Cross where Jesus died and shed his blood that we might be saved. Some people 
play there. Don't, don't play around with God. Walk with God. Serve the Lord with all your heart. I threw that in for free. Praise God. Let me move on here. All right. You understand what I'm saying? So anyhow, they cast lots. But in, in our own lives, be careful about trying to force God to make a decision for you. Suppose a guy says, you know, okay, Lord, I want to go out and preach the gospel. Where shall I go? Where shall I go? And he prays about it. He thinks about it. And he's got two places on mind. He says, okay, I'll be there. Well, should I go to Wally Wally, Washington, or should I go, you can have a Montana. Which one is it? Wally Wally, Washington, or you can have a Montana. Which one is it? And then you, and you say, oh, I know what, I'll throw, throw the dice. If it's all even numbers, I'll go to Wally Wally, Washington. If it's odd numbers, I'll go to, you can have her in Montana. You can have her is a, is a name of an actual place in Montana. I've been there. It's a little old small town in the middle of it. The biggest thing they say going through there is the train. The biggest thing coming out is the story, how it got its name. You can have her. Two guys were fighting over a girl. And one of them just stopped and said, you know what? You can have her. <laughs> so that's how I got his name. So anyhow, that's the biggest thing coming out of that little town is that. Now, let's say a guy now wants to know, Lord, where should I go to preach the gospel? So he throws the dice. Well, the dice are going to come up odd or even it's going to come up one way or the other. It's like forcing God to that. He said, okay, it came up on uh, Wally Wally Washington. So I'm going to Wally Wally Washington. I'm going to go to church. And God showed me that. So be careful about trying to force God to make a decision for you by saying you got to do it this way or that way. If this happens, I'll do that. This happens, I will do that. Let God give us direction in all things. Everybody say praise the Lord. I'm going to move on here with Paul. This was what I uh, see here that they, they did, which I thought, I think, was not their decision to make, but it was God's decision to make. And this is why Paul defends his position as I have seen Christ. Because they said, well, there's certain things you had to do. And Paul came late in life. Let me give you some verses of scripture concerning Paul here. And also the fact that there were apostles besides the 12. Everybody still with me? Okay. Let me show you this. Uh, I want you to go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it is. I think I've got the right scripture here. Uh, Where is it? Uh, there's a scripture where it speaks about them. Uh, about where the apostles were. Uh, let me have you go to Acts 1, 6, uh, Acts uh, Fifteen, yeah. That's where I want you to go. Acts fifteen and uh, seven, four. I'm sorry, First Corinthians. I don't know why I'm saying Acts. I'm looking at one and, and, and quote another. First Corinthians, chapter fifteen. This is a very interesting chapter. We'll be getting to it later on. But look at this for a moment. If I can get to it myself. My Bible is so old, folks, it almost falls apart when I'm working with it, but I love it. All right. <laughs> Everybody's still with me. I didn't lose you then. Okay. 15.4. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. This is Paul talking about Jesus Christ now. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Okay. And that he was seen of Cephas. That's Peter. 
then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present time, but some are fallen asleep, which means some have passed on, uh, died. It said after, verse 7, after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. You get that? It says here in verse 5 that he was seen of the 12, and we know those are the 12 apostles. And then in verse 7, and after that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. So Paul also says he was seen of me. Now, the part, the part I'm pointing out to you here is that there were apostles besides the 12. Okay. Now, if we also look at the book of uh, Acts, uh, it refers to Barnabas and Paul. This is 1414 of the book of Acts, just one verse, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes, ran among the people crying out. These were people who were trying to worship them because they thought they were gods. And they said, no, 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 don't worship us. And anyhow, he refers to Barnabas and Paul as the apostles. Now, we know Barnabas was not an apostle. So why is it that they are called apostles and it talks about apostles besides the 12? Was there other apostles? Yes. Here's the difference. The 12 were those who were sent by Jesus, especially by Jesus. And then there were apostles who were sent by the church. The word apostle means one who is sent. And that would be the church would come together, lay hands on people, and send them out forth to preach the gospel. And they were called apostles if they were sent by the church. So they were sent in that fashion. Uh, you could easily say that many of our missionaries uh, that are sent into the foreign fields are apostles to those countries in the sense that they go there and they go there to win souls and they're sent there by the church. Not one of the twelve. But they are apostles simply sent that simply that they were laid hands on and sent by the church out to do the work of God. But the 12 have a very special place with God. And this is what's important. I want you to look with me in Revelations chapter, uh, uh, chapter 21 for a moment. Look at Revelations 21. This is talking about the holy city. And uh, 21.10 and this is John now talking about, and he's in having this vision of this holy city coming down out of, the, out of heaven. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And then he goes on to describe it. I'm skipping verse 11 and go to verse 12. And had a great wall and high and had 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels and the names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. That's the gates. Now look at verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So the 12 is a very special number of which Judas Iscariot was part of, but lost that. The other apostles tried to nominate and elect somebody to take his place. But most Bible scholars believe that Paul was God's choice. Because when God called Paul, he said, Paul, I, he said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. 
And he went on, to, he said, and he told them, go in and there'll be a man to tell thee what thou must do to be saved and so forth. And also tell thee what thou must do for me. And so this prophet then that appeared to him told him, he said, God is going to use you to be the teacher and the instructor to the Gentiles. So Paul's calling was that of the Gentiles. And Paul knew that about himself. Besides this, Paul went into seclusion for three years in which he studied the word of God back to front and, and, and let God teach him and show him the meaning and fulfillment of how the Old Testament was fulfilled in the New Testament. I won't go into that, but Paul actually gains this knowledge. He was a brilliant man. Paul was a small bill guy. He's a short guy. He was a brilliant man, extremely intelligent. Had a knowledge of the law like hardly nobody in his in his day. Said under the greatest teachers that Israel had, and uh, was a, was known as being a very smart and brilliant person. But because he persecuted the church, a lot of the Jewish Christians didn't trust Paul, and they were leery of him. And then when he started teaching to the Gentiles, you don't have to fulfill the law. Then they would say, oh, well, Paul's off course. He's not teaching it right. And they would try to discount Paul. And so Paul was constantly trying to validate his position and his place and his authority. And I'll give you some you know, scripture for that in a few moments. But I would just want you to know here that thank God for somebody whom God chose to give us uh, the word that we might understand and know and believe. I want you to go to Galatians for a moment. I'm still on this subject here about the apostleship of Paul. Uh, uh, let me find it here. Look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. This is interesting. Paul, an apostle, not of men. Notice that. Now, every time Paul writes a letter, he purely always says, Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man. In other words, it wasn't men that sent me out to preach the gospel. It was not men. It was not a man, uh, but by Jesus Christ. In other words, I am sent by Jesus Christ just like all of the apostles were sent by. So he says here, uh, Paul, the apostle, not by men, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, God, the father who raised him from the dead. Now look at verse seven in Galatians in that same first chapter, one seven. But contrawise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, which is Gentiles, was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. So he is saying that the gospel to the Jews was unto Peter. The gospel unto the Gentiles was unto me. The same fashion for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision or Jews, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. So Paul is validating his apostleship, but that his, his apostleship was that uh, to the Gentiles and not to the apostle Peter and so forth. So I'm trying to show you here in the word of God that these, uh, these validations here gave Paul this right that he could say that he was uh, I'm going to read here also in 1 Corinthians chapter I think I read 15 20 Christ had risen from the dead but came to first fruits uh, 
that he was buried and that he rose again third day. I read that verse of scripture. Let me move on here because I want to show you here that Paul, and I'm going to finish this up and wrap it up, that Paul himself was an apostle and he had the authority, he had the power, uh, the apostleship, and that he preached the word of God that men might be saved and, uh, and, and he was to the Gentiles their salvation. I'm going to read a verse of scripture in Romans. Uh, if I can get to it, wherever it is, where is Romans? I said, Romans eleven thirteen. Here's what he says. For I speak to you Gentiles in as much as I am the apostle. This is 13, 11, 13. I speak to you Gentiles in as much as I am the apostle. He does not say it, a apostle or an apostle. I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify in mine office. So Paul goes into these things about how that he was an apostle of the Gentiles. So that whenever we begin to read here in 1 Corinthians, then when he begins to validate himself, I'm going to read that ninth chapter in the first verse again. Stay with me on this. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of my apostleship are you in the Lord. And verse 5, have we not power to lead about a wife as other apostles and as the brethren of Jesus, which is James, who was a pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He was married and brother of the Lord. He was uh, the brother of Jesus Christ. He was the son of Mary and Joseph. Incidentally, Mary and Joseph had children after Jesus was born. She was a virgin till after Jesus was born. And after that, then Joseph took her to be his wife. I can show you scripture and all that. And then they had children. They had, uh, they had, I think, three sons and two daughters after that. I won't go into detail. I can show you scripture on that. You're not interested in that right now, I'm sure. But anyhow, it goes on to say here, uh, lead about a wife as brother and the brother of the Lord and Cephas, Peter. Peter had a wife, of course. And I read that to you earlier. Now, so what I've been pointing out to you here is that Paul was indeed an apostle he was an apostle unto us, and therefore his word. So when you read in the Bible where Paul talks about himself, I'm an apostle, meaning, praise the Lord, that he had the authority to tell them what thus saith the word of the Lord. So when we have the prophets and the, uh, and the apostles with us today, here's your 12 apostles right here. It's in this book. We don't have the 12 with us, but those who might be sent by the church out. If you want to title them apostles, that would be, you know, okay, okay thing. Let me move on. Everybody ready? I got about a few more minutes here. I want to talk to you in another portion of this ninth chapter of First Corinthians. So go back to First Corinthians chapter nine. And Paul switches subjects here on this verse. And the reason is because he's talking about the way he conducted himself among the Corinthians. He says to them, I never took anything from you. I never let you pay me anything. I came among you. I labored. I worked. I won souls. I built the church, but I never let you pay me anything. And uh, I did not make myself a burden to you. And Paul talks about that to them because I did not want anybody to say Paul did it for his own glory and for his own reasons. But he goes on to say, this is not the way God ordained churches to be established. He meant for them to be established with a pastor. Paul knew he was not a pastor. He was an apostle. He, was, he came, came there, won souls, established a church, appointed a pastor, and moved on. 
And this is what he, he, this is what he understood about himself. And so he goes on then to talk about this. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, what the Bible says and what he says about it. Look at verse 9. We're in 9-9 here of 1 Corinthians. Changing subjects now <clears throat> a little bit. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth not God take care of oxen? Yeah, he's saying, you think this is written that God takes care of the oxen that treads the corn? Or look at verse 10, or saith it altogether for our sakes. That is for those who preach the gospel. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he that ploweth shall plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partakers of his hope. Meaning a, a person who labors, whatever he labors in, he is a partaker of that field that he labors in. <clears throat> so he's giving, he's talking here about the right of the ministry of congregations to receive of the spiritual or the financial blessings of the church, which as we know, we have set up in this church in a very outstanding manner, fine way in which we support the ministry, all churches do. We call it tithes and offerings. Part of the tithes goes to the ministry of the church. Not all the tithes, part of it only. Part of it goes to the ministry of the church. Other parts go for other things. Here's the thing about the finance of the church. The church does not, it receives things, but it is a flow through. Much of what the church receives goes through the church. As you well know, this church is the seventh or was last year, was the seventh largest missions giving church in the, in the United States. In, uh, in the United Pentecostal Church. Seventh largest. About, about three or four years ago, it was the fifth largest giving church in the United, in the United States in giving emissions. We give to orphanages. We establish orphanages. We build orphanages. You know we have a medical clinic in Haiti. I'm not going to the Haiti thing because they, they were shot at the last time they were down there. And that's quite a story. But uh, God bless you men and you women who go to these other foreign fields and you go with our people, our people that go with them as their people from other churches that join our church people sometime. And they go, they help build. I've been to Guatemala twice and helped to work on that orphanage down there that we now have. And many of you did that. And I'm just saying here, this is what this church does. So money that you give, it goes through the church, goes through the church. There are some things though that have to stay here and be used. You got to pay the light bill got to pay the electric bill and you got to pay you know fortunately we don't have any rent to pay and we don't have any mortgage to pay because the church is free and clear because of your giving and so forth but i'm just saying god will honor and bless our giving but he is saying here that the ministry has a right to be partaker of some of the financial money that comes to the church and this church was set up years ago many years ago uh i'm gonna we've been here now nearly 50 years and it was set up nearly 50 years ago by the board in this church here, how the finances would be yours. And it said worked very well for this congregation. Good men. This church has always had good men in it. And the men set this up and it's always worked well. We accepted that. Uh, he goes on to say, let me read this and then I'll go a little further into it. He says, he says here in the 13th verse, uh, but do you know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the, of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. This is all talking about how the Old Testament bears this out. Even so <clears throat> hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So he establishes that. Uh, 
There are some cases where when a church is small that the pastor has to work. Uh, but when a pastor can give his full time to a church, that church will grow. And he gives and he becomes a laborer in that house of God and he is able to do it. When I first came here, the, the board asked me and I, I'm looking at Brother Jenkins. Brother Jenkins, raise your hand. Brother Jenkins, verify everything I'm saying. Uh, they asked me, said, are you willing to work as well as pastor of the church? It was too small to support me. I said, yes, I'm willing to work. And uh, I had worked some on insurance. I'd done a home missionary church up in North, North West Florida. I'd done one over in Clearwater where I had, had, to have, had to work. So I'd work, support my family, and also to help pay the bills of the church. And so when I did this, all I had to do was support my family, but I had to work on the side. After a year of selling insurance and so forth, I went into my own business. My family trade was out of plastering. And with, where's Tom Bealey? Is he here? Tom Bealey? Tom, Tom's a plasterer. There he is. All right. God bless you, Tom. And uh, Tom's the same trade. My, my dad taught me the trade. His, my grandfather was a plasterer. I got cousins galore. Many of them are passed on now. They were plasters and uncles and all that kind of stuff. So I knew the trade. So I went to that trade and I picked up so that I could work maybe three to four, three or four days a week at controlling that and be able to work, make a living. And as the church began to grow some, and then when I was finally got to the place the church had grown enough, I could be full-time pastor, folks. That was the best thing that happened to the church. Because when I did that, I began to teach home Bible studies. And I began to, we began to win people to the Lord. And I had one sister patch into the Lord. She became a home Bible, church, Bible teacher. Uh, sister Petty, praise the Lord, she came into the church. And... Uh, I'm just trying to tell you here that when a pastor can give his full time to the church, it's a wonderful thing to do so. And so I started then teaching. And at one point, 80% of all this congregation had been won through home Bible study. It's still a very effective tool. And when in, in our young days, I prayed and said, God, what will work in this area? What will, should I do? How should I minister to win soul to the Lord? And the Lord laid on my heart, teach home Bible studies. And we started teaching home Bible studies. That was a time I was teaching four a week, teaching home Bible studies, teaching home Bible studies, knocking on doors, canvassing. Way back there when Palm Bay only had 6,000 people. Can you believe it ever had that few people? It did, way back there. Uh, I knocked on every door in the city of Palm Bay. Every, I did. My wife still don't believe I did it, but I did it. Doctor in every house in Palm I said, how do you have to realize it was a lot smaller than it was now and everything. But I canvassed and knocked on doors. I'm just trying to tell you here, the, the, the laborer is worthy of his hire. Your pastor is well worth it. Praise the Lord. Pastor, assistant pastors, administrators, amen. Uh, all the, the, you know, the teachers, we have a wonderful staff. We have gotten great uh, teachers, preachers, and lay preachers and so forth. And this church that God has so blessed us with, and they are some of the greatest people and finest people on the face of the earth. Amen. Well, having said that, Paul defends this and says that we should be of that. Now I'm going to close out with this. My time is gone. Look at verse 19. Here's why Paul did not receive anything from the, that Corinthian church. Verse 19, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law, 
that I may gain them that are under the law. Verse 22, to the weak became I weak, that I may gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by by means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers thereof with you. Uh, Then he goes on to talk about running the race. Verse 24, know you not that they which run the race all uh, but one receives they all run, but one receives a prize. So run ye that you may obtain. In other words, work for God as though there's only one prize and it goes to the winner and you're going to be the winner. Praise the Lord. So run with Christ for that. And uh, he goes on to say in verse 27 here, but I keep my body and bring it unto subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So Paul talks about his apostleship and about how that he had a right to receive those people as a worker in the faith, but he chose not to, that he might, that no man could ever say Paul did it for financial reasons. Amen. Aren't you glad for the truth of God? What a beautiful congregation you are here this morning. We had a great service coming up. Let's all stand together. Let's worship God and praise him and thank him here this morning.